Thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to speak, Pastor John. I'm so privileged to come and hopefully speak a little bit of something into your lives, um, your lives today. And I just want to pray first before I start. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, Lord, this time of fellowship together with you, even though we're apart, but we're still together, united by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I know that you've given me this picture, Father, that... There are a lot of people that feel unseen or unheard, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you've given me this word, especially for them, Lord, as they wait on you to move in their lives, Father. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you just move in each and every one of our hearts today, Lord. Thank you, Father. So when I was praying about what to speak, about today, I heard that God spoke clearly in my mind this one word, suddenly. Suddenly means quickly and unexpectedly. Life certainly has a lot of suddenly moments, doesn't it? And we're certainly living in the season of suddenly right now. Our God is also a God of suddenlies. He works in a way that is unprecedented to us, but that is not to say that he moves unexpectedly or surprisingly to himself. Maybe we are surprised because we underestimate what he can do in our lives. He is always in full control. When we read and think about suddenly situations in the word, it always alerts us that something is going to happen after that word suddenly. It is usually accompanied by breakthrough. And so it goes with words like immediately, unexpectedly, or behold in the word. But God suddenly also does not mean that it isn't a time of sowing or building faith in our expectancy. Sometimes it takes a long time for suddenly to happen. I especially want to talk about waiting for God's timing today, which I think is really apt given our 20, 21 days of praying and fasting. So I want to talk about God's timing and waiting for that suddenly to happen because that suddenly is an encouragement for us to break through. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So today we will be looking at a few instances of God suddenly in the word. Now, I've read online that there are 87 instances of suddenly mentioned in the Bible, separate instances, so don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of them today, just a few. God's timing is different to our timing. When God is ready, he will move. Now, I work at a cafe and I have customers who even waiting for five minutes for a coffee is too long for them to wait. It's true. And I feel really sad for those people. 
really. Or what about when you watch a crowd of people on their mobile phones and suddenly maybe something happens to the mobile data or the Wi-Fi goes off, you see this, fix it, fix it, like, like a pack of seagulls, right? We want things done quickly. We're impatient, no? I've experienced that. Earlier, <laughs> earlier this week, Mark Zuckerberg lost $7 billion in a few hours due to an outage on his social media apps. That is not to say it has anything to do with us, but I'm just trying to make a point that the world is a very fast-paced one, where time is the most precious commodity. Yet God's timing operates on a completely different realm to us. We've learnt it, right? God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. That means he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. He is everywhere at every time at once, and he knows everything. It is completely out of our realm of human understanding. Especially for people who, let's face it, who can be impatient. This is why he and we have to build our faith together. Suddenly does not mean that we don't still have to wait on God to move. So what happens when we try to move ahead in front of God? We probably all have learned from experience that that is not a good idea, right? Here's a funny little anecdote. A friend went to visit the great preacher, Philip Brooks, and found him pacing the floor like a caged lion. His friend asked, what's the trouble, Dr. Brooks? Dr. Brooks replied, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. So I'd like to draw you to a very prevalent example of why moving ahead of God is not a good idea at all by looking at the story of Abraham, the father of nations. Now we all know the story. In the story of Abraham, we see consistently the themes and promises of covenant, descendants, and promised land. God consistently reminds Abraham of this throughout Genesis. We open up in Genesis where then Abram and Sarai depart from Canaan in search for the homeland promised by God. Now, in Genesis 15 verse 4, God establishes a covenant between him and Abram, saying, your very own son shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Yet we know Abraham and Sarai went young, right? They went spring chickens. We see right after this, right after this, in Genesis 16, verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And in the ESV, it says that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, this was an acceptable custom in those times and culture. Now, let me ask you this. God, when did he say that he restrained Sarai from bearing a child? 
Where did he say that in the word? He said the complete opposite. See the dangers of looking only at your current situation around you and not looking from an eternal perspective and see how listening, like Abraham, listening to outside voices can impede the plans God has for you. It's a big warning on discernment. Abraham and Sarai ran ahead of God's plan and look what disaster it bore them. As we know, Ishmael was born from Hagar, Sarai's servant, of which the descendants formed many Arab nations. And eventually Isaac was born, his descendants forming Israel. And to this day, the consequences of Abraham running ahead of God is still being felt in the Middle East. There is still such bitter enmity between the Arab nations and Israel. Let's stop and ask ourselves this. Do you think that you are running ahead of God? As believers, we measure our actions by the fruit of it, right? What is the fruit of your spiritual walk or run? Are you at peace? Oftentimes, like we've seen with Abraham and Sarah, God will not stop us from running ahead. Holy Spirit may warn us, but in the end, it's up to us to discern and obey, right? Yet as we continue, we see that God is still so good through our lack of faith. We know that Abraham and Sarah eventually had Isaac. God always comes through with his promises. He is not a man that he shall lie, and you need to hold on to that truth. Sometime later in Genesis 22, God tested Abraham as we know. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. As they got there, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham, now in his obedience and experience of God's goodness and provision, knew that God would provide yet again. And as the angel called out for him to stop as his knife was raised, Abraham looked up and there was a ram caught in the thistle to be provided as the offering. He had been tested and came out triumphant. You can expect God's blessing and provision to come suddenly, just like how he provided the ram. So hold on to that and have faith for you and for your family that he'll provide. Now we're going to skip a little bit ahead in time to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. In Genesis 37 verse three, it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his father saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So I read an interesting comparison of this picture, comparing it to Jesus and how his father loved him, but his brethren and his people despised him. So I thought that was interesting because, well, all the books of the Bible point us to Jesus Christ, right? 
Anyway, God gave Joseph prophetic dreams. The first one in Genesis 37 verse 7 says, There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Continuing on, then he dreamed, still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Then it stated that his brothers despised him even more, because it was as though he was implying that he would have dominion over them. Now we know as readers that this interpretation of these dreams do eventually come into fruition long time down the road. But a lot of scholars and theologians have put forward their interpretation of this. As Joseph, perhaps being quite precocious as being the youngest and his father's favorite, and in coming across as being arrogant in telling his brothers his dreams. As William Dillard writes, in reporting his dreams to his brothers, Joseph did not seek their love nor affection, but he sought their admiration and a recognition of his greatness. Joseph clearly demonstrated his intention to rule over his brothers by the revelation of his dreams, despite his status as the younger. The subject matter of the dreams showed him to be superior to his siblings, and even that the sun and the moon would bow down to him. So we can see that it boils down to pride. Now observe this point. Joseph dreamt of his elevation in status, yet he didn't dream about his imprisonment. He didn't account for the cost of this dream. His brothers had the right interpretation of the dreams, but they absolutely hated it. And it eventually cost Joseph when they sold him to the Midianites. A lot of the time we have our own goals for ministry, be it our calling, and we may take pride in it and put too much of our own strength in attaining it, but we forget to count the cost. Following Christ means picking up that cross every day. We want to see the fruit and we see the end goal, but the realization to get there can be long. Like Pastor John shared last week, it's been seven years since God gave him that prophetic word about Mark 4, 29, and he's still standing on it. Do we have that endurance to wait on God? Now Joseph was sold to Potiphar, and things seemed to be going all right. It was going up. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. But Joseph got in trouble again. Why? Because of his good looks. Who said beautiful people have it easy, right? Not always true. It says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Eventually, we know that he was framed for assaulting her and sent to jail. But you know what? We've, <laughs> I've given Joseph a little bit of hiding with pride and humility, but you know what's good about him? He didn't complain once. He went to jail, yet it says even in prison, he was successful in everything he did because God was with him. So what can we learn from this? Joseph must be thinking this is a roller coaster ride. Well, obviously not because there was no roller coasters back then. A wild camel ride. God, you've installed me in this high position, yet it's been swept from right under me even though I did nothing wrong. Maybe he was thinking that. Yet we can see that whatever storms of life happen, whatever temptation is thrown at you, if you remain righteous in God's eyes, you will remain successful. Not successful maybe by the world standards, but by spiritual standards and moral standards. As with Abraham and Sarah, don't be tempted by the world's ways of resolving situations. I encourage you, be like Joseph and stay righteous in God. Wait for his voice and will. And sometimes you can only discover his plan for you while going through the trials. So God probably had to do a work with Joseph's pride and restore humility in him before he was ready to be used for his grand plan because he knew that the previous Joseph's character would not stand up to the position God had for him. And Joseph's, Joseph's story reminds me of a little bit of when I went to sit for my driver's license. You know, uh, I was ready to go. I didn't do the lessons. I had so much pride that I could do it first up. And guess what? I failed. And not only that, I failed multiple times. <laughs> it was only when I was humbled and I said, okay, let's do the lessons properly that I passed. And you know what? I praise God for that because who knows, if God had let me pass straight away, I might have hurt myself or someone else. And so it goes. So it goes in our walk with God, in our ministry, in our calling, anything. If you're not ready for it, you might hurt yourself or someone else. So I digress. From prison, God used Joseph's gift of, in, of dream interpretation to elevate him to the Pharaoh's second in command. If you're ever feeling down and out because you can't understand God's timing, or you think that you can't be used by him for whatever reason, if you're feeling inadequate, just take a look at the story. What was Joseph's qualifications? No, did he climb the political ladder? Did he come from a wealthy or a respectable Egyptian family lineage? Did Pharaoh ask 
No. All Joseph did was serve God. When God is ready, he will move and he will be unstoppable. So eventually, Joseph's dream did come into fruition. He did stand in authority on top of his brothers. And more importantly than that, God used him to save his people. It took about 14 years for this to be realized. And now Joseph was about 30 years old. So you could be wondering, where's the suddenly in that? 14 years is a long time. But that's a pretty short time to be elevated from his position. Where did he start out from? He was thrown in a pit and sold as a slave. And then suddenly becoming the second in command of a nation. It's probably more possible for me to become the prime minister of our nation than that happening, but I take it back. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> so God can suddenly put you in positions you never even considered. And actually, I can confidently say that if you follow him, he will do it. So how are we going to prepare for that next step? How will we weather the seasons of waiting and contending? Now, God used Joseph to set up his next plan because it introduces how the Israelites came into increase and eventually became slaves to the Egyptians. And now we come to how he used Moses to release his people. So we can see that the mechanics of time are in God's hands. Everything fits into another, like a puzzle. Now, I'm not going to go through everything Moses did and the 10 plagues because I'm sure we are familiar with that story. And I can go on forever about Moses, but I want to focus on the suddenly aspect of God's timing in the story, as I promised earlier. So the Israelites were in Egypt for around 430 years, and they were slaves for generations. God used Moses to set his people free and demonstrated his immense power against those who oppose him and his people. And he demonstrated that through the plagues, but Pharaoh wouldn't listen. But suddenly, after the last plague, suddenly Pharaoh went to Moses and Aaron. He said, pack up and go. He said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, all of the Egyptians, with a pantheon of gods had no choice but to concede that Yahweh, God, was all powerful. And we see that the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The slaves plundered the Egyptians. What can we learn from this? God can and will suddenly deliver, even if you've been waiting for so long. We cannot understand his timing they were there in captivity for generations. But we have to trust that he will deliver. 
That's the only thing we can stand on. We can also see that God will also not be mocked. So stand strong against those who persecute you. Pray for them while you wait for God to intervene in your situation. Right. Allow me to continue to speak on God's timing of suddenly. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. If you're looking for a lot of suddenly moments, the book of Acts holds a lot of them. And I believe that it is because when the Holy Spirit came onto the disciples and that happened suddenly as well, it quickened their spirit. There was a newfound fire and passion that flamed in them and they were in a hurry to share it with everyone. And also the Holy Spirit is our helper. So now they had a helper and things just happened quicker. We're going to go to the account of Silas and Paul on their second missionary journey together. In Acts 16, it says that they were beaten and put in jail for delivering a slave girl from the spirit of divination and consequently taking away her owner's profit. So now in jail, what did they do? Did they hang their heads and mourn? No, it says in verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Let this passage embolden you. When we wait for God's will and direction, let's praise and rejoice. I believe the key to God's suddenly moment here was worship. When they worshiped, the chains were loosed. How can we apply that to our lives? Let us not be disheartened in our tribulations. What has taken us into captivity? What is keeping us in the prison? Keeping us in chains? Can we rejoice even through the pain like Paul and Salas? I really believe here the key is praise and worship. And I know God earlier was speaking to me as well. And he said, it's reminding me, when was the last time we were excited to do things with him? You know, sometimes it feels like 
it might feel like a chore that we have to do things because it's written in the book, and we do, but when did we feel the joy to serve him, the excitement of partnering with him together? So to wrap it up, let me summarize the key points of my message today on waiting on God's timing. If you didn't get anything in the above, this is just like a Sparks Notes summary that you can get. In the story of Abraham, we saw not to run ahead of God's plans. And yet his goodness and grace prevails in our lives even when we do. With Joseph, we saw the opposite. We saw how to stay righteous while waiting for God, even through the trials. It was also a lesson on correcting our flaws before we can be entrusted with greater things. With Moses, God showed us how we can deliver, how he can deliver his people instantly. Yet those 430 years of captivity challenges us. We see that big number and we think, can we trust in his timing? Even if we don't understand. And lastly, with Silas and Paul, they showed us to rejoice even in dire situations. And that praise and worship is integral to God's suddenly moments. So I hope that provides a little model to how we should approach waiting on God in all seasons of our lives. Joyce Meyer has a really great model of the two types of believers that wait on God. The first type is the passive follower. A passive person hopes, hopes something good will happen and is willing to sit around waiting to see if it does. After a short time, they give up saying, that's it, I've waited and waited and waited and nothing's happened. The passive person has a lot of wishbone, but not much backbone. When I read this, boy, I was blown away, I was convicted. How many times have I been the passive believer? Just kind of half believing, but not fully invested because I didn't wanna be let down. Look at Abraham, he laughed when God said that Sarah would bear him a son in her old age. If you told me that my descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky, I'd probably believe it, but I wouldn't be able to fathom it. Yet God's promise came true, as we see. This passiveness it turns into wishful thinking, and it has no correlation whatsoever with the immense power of our God. I've attached being passive with my personality sometimes, you know, just being laid back and not being too serious, but this has nothing to do with personality. You know, this is kingdom. There's been this theme of being in the wilderness lately in our church, as Pastor John spoke about a few weeks ago, right? 
when the prophets and when Jesus was in the wilderness, they didn't just wait there doing nothing, right? They didn't just sit on a rock and shake a leg, waiting for God to save them, like, you know, running out of water, God. Yes, we know that God is sovereign. He can save us anytime, anywhere, any place. And Jesus proved that. He said to the devil, when the devil was tempting him in the desert, do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? They were tried and at risk of being physically and spiritually dried in the desert and only God could replenish them. So we should follow in the example when we are in our wilderness. No one likes to be in the wilderness. But take heed when you read when you're in the wilderness, that's when you get the breakthrough. See, no one likes waiting, right? But as Christians we seem to do a lot of it, a lot of waiting which maybe shows us that it's good for us. It builds something, it builds character and endurance in us. So just like how it's not a good idea to run ahead of God, it's also not a good idea to lag behind his will either. We can see this obviously in the most prime example with the Israelites going around in the desert. Now, the second type of believer that Joyce Meyer talks about is the expectant person. The expectant person, on the other hand, is hopeful, believing the answer is just around the corner due to arrive any minute. His belief is not a passive thing. His heart is full of hope, expecting his problem to be solved at any moment. He wakes up every morning expecting to find his answer. He may wait and wait, but suddenly what he's been waiting for happens. Now, I think that's great. We should be expectant. I kind of half agree with this because sometimes what we are waiting for might not happen. And what's our response to that? You know? But we're not waiting for victory to come around the corner. Victory means victorious living that has already been bought by the blood of Christ. So when you think of it that way, it changes you from the inside out, how you live. We might have that answer that we want in our head, but it might not be the answer we need and what God wants for us. How are we going to respond to that? Also, what are we expecting about? I know a lot of people might not have anything they're expecting about. They're just cruising through life, but... I believe that God wants you to have goals. He wants to use you and he wants to fulfill your desires. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of people only take heed of the second half, but we need to pay attention to the full thing. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will put those godly desires in your heart anyway. Because when we truly love him, we long to and we desire to please him. 
And it's the same when you love someone, your husband, your wife, your dog, <laughs> etc. You do things for them with no expectations of them giving back to you, just because you want to honor and cherish them. It pleases you to see them delighted. And so it goes the same, the Lord, it pleases him to see you delighted as well and to delight in him. So if you have nothing to wait for, if you think you have nothing to wait for, I want to pray for you that you begin to have an expectant heart. Don't be passive anymore, that God will give you his desires. Put it in your heart. If you look to the world, especially in this crazy time, there are a lot of suddenly moments. All of a sudden, we've seen that calamity strikes. And then all of a sudden, it seems to get better. It's up and down. I'm reminded of the instance as with Joseph, where he was in Potiphar's household, and things seemed like it was getting better. But shortly after that, he was back in jail. That's why in Colossians 3 verse 2, it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. I'd like to pray for you that through this message, you'll be encouraged to not constantly look to the world and be swept up with events, but to have kingdom perspectives so that the storms of life will not savage you. If you have kingdom perspectives, a lot of these things, bickering and opinions on this and that, we're not going to carry it to heaven. We're not going to be arguing about it in heaven, right? So why dwell on that? I want to share with you this quote from Corrie Ten Boom that I hold so dearly in my heart. And she, she wrote, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Right, this is coming from a Holocaust survivor. That temptation to be overwhelmed by those horrible experiences must be tremendous, but yet only God can deliver us from the trauma that we go through. So I'll just finish up with my prayer for you. Dear Heavenly Father, my prayer for my brothers and sisters is this. As we wait upon you for your direction, still us, still our hearts so that we are on the same page as you. Open our ears, Lord, and speak to us, Father, that we may listen, Lord, to your voice. I know that many of us have been waiting a very long time for an answer from you, whether it be for healing, for deliverance, or provision. Lord Jesus, you told me that people were feeling unseen and unheard and you just want to remind them that you know it all, you've seen it all, and you're carrying the burdens for them. I pray, Lord Jesus, give us endurance, Father, to wait on your answer. Lord, we don't dare even to presume what your plans are. But even so, I ask for breakthrough for whatever everyone is going through. I pray that you can teach us to rejoice even in times of pain and hardship. Thank you, Lord. And I want to speak a quickening and a boldening of our spirits. 
ready as Father to sow and reap the harvest. Holy Spirit, give us discernment and wisdom. And Lord, deliver us from offense against one another. We know that the enemy will be going after our unity right now. And he will be trying to strike up fires between one another. But I ask you, Lord, shield us. Shield us from those arrows of the enemy, Lord. And bind us together, Father, in love, in your love and your grace, your mercy and your fellowship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I speak a blessing over my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you are comforter, Lord, that you are our peace, Lord. 